0: Good morning, it's November 8th, 2020. Welcome once again to this online resource for at-home spiritual growth as we continue to worship in a two-track way during this pandemic. While we still face a threat of pandemic, some of us are remaining home and others are gathering outdoors for worship here at Redeemer Lutheran Church. This week, we're in the sixth of eight weeks looking at what it means to join Jesus on his mission, to look at who he is, what his mission is, and his calling, and then subsequently how he involves us in that as well, to do mission outreach and evangelism. Today we're going to look at what it means to be Christ's creation. God bless you today with growth from his word. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Your word is a lamp for my feet, and a light on my path. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you have given us your holy scriptures for our learning may we so hear them, read, learn, and take them to heart, that being strengthened and comforted by your holy word, we may hold firmly to the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. The reading today is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. This lesson is the basis for today's sermon. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work, in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel is according to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. Acts of mercy done in Christ's name are done for Christ. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. A dearly beloved professor I had in college died last week of COVID-19. And for some reason, when I heard the news, one of the sillier things he used to say in class came to my mind as I sat down to write this sermon. You see, in class, when we came across something really worth remembering—he was one of our theology professors— he'd often say with a twinkle in his eye, you'll want to cross-stitch that onto your whoopee cushion. You'll want to cross-stitch that onto your whoopee cushion. I know it doesn't make sense, but I remember it. Now, I had that memory because today's text, Ephesians chapter 2, especially the last two verses, which we're focusing on, This is one of those passages that if we were going to cross-stitch something onto our whoopee cushion, as my professor taught, this might be one of those passages. This verse is one of the crown jewels of biblical theology, and it's a vital part to a proper distinction and proper understanding between the two great doctrines of the Bible, the difference between justification, that is, how we are saved, and sanctification, that is, how we live Christian lives. Or put another way, the difference between the law, which shows us our sin, but also for Christians shows us the path of of God's will, and the gospel, the announcement that we are justified by faith alone, on account of Christ alone. So today we're going to dive right into these passages to see what God gives to you and what God does through you. And if by any chance you do have a whoopee cushion, you'll want to stitch onto it what you hear today. Here's that verse again. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, here we learn first that God gives to you. right? He alone gives you your entire salvation. And he even gives you the means by which salvation comes to you in your house. He gives you your faith, even. Faith and the salvation to which faith connects us both are a gift of God, not by our works in any way. We have no reason to boast, no cause, no justification to boast. And so the scriptural teaching is very plain here. God gives faith through the preaching of the gospel. People hear a kind of good news that so surpasses our expectations and even our our understanding that the joy and hope and peace that the announcement of God's grace brings— actually engenders in people a living trust in a living God. And so God alone does all the work of bringing people into his kingdom. And this truth is, of course, one of the defining hallmarks of of Lutheran Christianity. Millions of Christians from other theological traditions simply ignore the plain meaning of these words for one unfortunate reason or another. And although we Lutherans have this down quite clearly on paper, it's always wise to compare and contrast the Bible's teaching to other ideas we might be tempted to adopt in our lives or in our thinking or in our believing. You see, when people do depart from this biblical teaching and forget that it is God alone who gives them all these gifts, they they usually fall into one of two errors. It's good to know these to watch out for them. See, on the one hand, folks will often say faith is kind of like a substance, something you kind of stir up in yourselves, maybe through some virtuous living or maybe following the right religious rituals. And if you stir up this substance in you, then somehow that gets God to like you. Like it's some kind of spiritual plumage that gets God to perk up and take notice of what a good little boy or girl you have been. So then maybe he'll want to add you to his menagerie of special people. And this approach tends to treat faith as some kind of leverage that you use to move God where you want him to go. And of course, this approach simply treats faith as a kind of work that you do by your strength instead of what the Bible says so clearly, instead of something God gives you by grace. But then on the other hand, folks will say faith is, is more of a mindset, not so much a substance, just kind of a mindset, a, a way of doing things or a way of looking at the world that you work yourself into in order to put yourself on Team Jehovah or something like that. And this mindset usually takes one of two forms. Either it's, it's massive fervor or utter folly, but people will think it doesn't matter, God doesn't care, as long as you're in this mindset. So in one view, faith is seen as a kind of fervor. Faith is all about how dedicated I am to the cause, how hard I try, how much I sacrifice, and just how generally impressive I am at doing what I think God wants me to do. In the other view, faith is seen as folly. That is, faith becomes a twisted reinterpretation of the biblical phrase, the foolishness of God, into the foolishness of me. Faith becomes about the reckless leaps I'm willing to make. Or the, the blatant sin I'm willing to ignore or just excuse or just, I'll just, I'll just push everything under the rug, close my eyes, put my head in the sand. Doesn't matter. I'm going to do these crazy things and I'm going to d- demonstrate all this folly to just show I'm all in on Jesus, no matter what. And whether someone goes for fervor or folly, in the end, it's, it's once again all about treating faith as a kind of work, something you do by your strength instead of something God gives you by his grace. Which always puts you at odds with what God says so clearly in his word. Salvation is a gift of grace. You receive it like you receive something at Christmas. You didn't work for it. And so is the the, the faith that connects you to God and his gifts. That's how they are. They're gifts. And it's not what you earn or deserve. It's what God gives to you. But once God has given the gift of faith to you, he's not actually done. He then begins to work through you. Yes, folks, you heard it here in a Lutheran church. There is something for you and me to do. Absolutely, there is. It's just that what we do doesn't count toward our salvation. There's not a column in God's Excel spreadsheet where he tallies up our good works and they somehow influence a formula that affects our salvation. Absolutely not. Only what God has done counts in that column. In fact, even what we do, the good things we do, they are still God doing things, but just through us. So Paul wrote in the, in the very end of this text today, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork, that is, the work of his hands. You can really think of it like a potter working clay on a wheel. We are the clay, and God is the potter, and he is shaping us and molding us and fashioning us to be and to do what he would have us to be and to do. And this is no small thing. See, don't forget that Christians take a totally unique approach to this life and this world. The early Christians were not very interested, for example, in the way our world has been interested in what happens to people immediately after they die. Think of how often people today, or we ourselves, ask that question. What happens when this person dies? What happens when this person dies? Early Christians weren't so interested in that, but they were extremely interested in a topic that many Western Christians, that is, those of us in America and Europe, kind of influenced by by that culture, what we in the West have kind of forgotten in the last few decades— which is the final new creation. The new heavens and the new earth that the Bible talks about, new heavens and new earth join together, the resurrection of the body that will create new human beings to live in that new world. You see, God has already done the great act of atoning for your sin and mine by his death on the cross. That is one of his gifts to you. Salvation comes by grace alone. So now he is at work bringing the results of his death and his resurrection to light in your life and in the whole world see the father sent his son the son died and rose again and the holy spirit proceeds from the father and the son to bring all of god's work to its final completion and part of that is to give you your faith that is to bring you into the kingdom where the benefits of christ's death and resurrection become yours so god's death and resurrection is a gift him bringing you into the kingdom where those blessings are yours is a gift it's gift all the way down And then, now, it seems God is also using you and me and what we have around us to already lay the foundation for what he is going to do in eternity. We're just caught up in this story that goes way before us and goes way after us. That means, you know, in a very real way, and if you ever struggle for purpose or meaning in your life, think of this. This is unique to Christianity. That means that what you and I do today actually matters in a really big way. God is somehow going to use this for forever. And you only have to look at Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection to see how God does this. See, on the cross, Jesus was not showing fervor or folly. He was demonstrating trust in the Father. He was demonstrating trust in their mutual plan and purpose to offer remission for the very real and very serious and very deadly debt that my sin and yours has incurred. The son trusted that if he went past the point of no return, past the doors of death, through which people only pass one way, he trusted still that the Holy Spirit would restore him to life and would do so justly. And when it worked, when the death of God's son actually did pay for all our sins and mine, he did, in fact, rise from the dead. But note this, Jesus did not leave his body behind in the tomb and grow a new one. No, his body, dead and buried, was raised to life three days later, and it was recognized by the people who knew him, recognized by the marks left by the nails and the spear. See, God is making all things new, not all new things. The new creation, Christians believe, has already begun. And the Bible says that even you are being made, already now, into a new creation. The Bible says that when you are baptized, when you come to faith in Jesus, when God does this work in you, brings you to faith, the old has gone and the new creation is here, right now. So you and I conclude, rightly, that the Holy Spirit is now at work in our life. The life of every Christian He's mysteriously changing the heart. He's acting through word and sacraments. Lord's Supper, baptism, preaching of the gospel. He's ministering through trials and tribulations, and he is creating someone new, you. He's creating someone who will stand before God in the new heaven and the new earth as holy and blameless and perfectly fitted for eternal glory. He's making you ready for that every day. And the Holy Spirit's role as sanctifier, that is, the one who's making you ready, making you holy for those days, he is in an objective sense, it's it's that he he takes the fruit of a Christian life that we offer, which remains imperfect, tainted by false motives. We know our false motives, don't we? Corrupted by sin and failure, we know those things, don't we? And yet the Holy Spirit takes what we offer in faith, and, and he makes it completely holy in God's sight. And not only that, he takes our imperfect offerings and then he puts them to use in ways we could hardly have imagined ourselves. That's what God is up to. First he gives to you, then he does things through you. And I have to end with saying we don't know entirely what that means. We don't know precisely how God will take all of the various things human beings do in faith and, and integrate them into his plans. We don't know how the, the prayerful work of an artist or the faithful work of a Christian civic leader or the diligent work of Christians seeking to bring healing and justice, we don't know how God is going to make that appear in the new creation. We don't know how he's going to take what you do in your daily vocation out of love for God and integrate it fully in what he is going to to make into this new blossoming world when all is said and done. But we do know what he has plans to do. God has given you the gift of salvation forever, and now he's working through you to do the good things he has prepared in advance for you to do. And what you do will matter forever. God's going to use it. To end, you could just kind of think of it this way. And personally, I like this image because I've seen some of the great cathedrals of Europe, and maybe you have too, or you've seen photos. We're kind of like craftsmen working on one of those great cathedrals, which, if you know the history of them, usually took centuries to build. We've each been given instructions about a particular stone that we are to spend our lives carving. Carving without knowing or even being able to guess where it will take its place within the grand design. In fact, we will probably not live our earthly life long enough to see where that stone is laid. But we are assured, by the words of Paul today, and by Jesus' own resurrection as the launch of the new creation, and his promise that we too will rise again in the last day to see all that has been done, Because of that, we know that the work we do is not in vain. Amen. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's now confess our Christian faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you are our help and deliverer, and to you we bring the prayers and petitions of your people, that you may grant to us all things good and needful and guard us against all things evil and harmful, that the Lord would rule over the darkness and shine his light over all the earth, that those from many nations may be united as one people through baptism and live together in faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the Lord would grant us wisdom and courage, that we may be prepared at all times to receive him when he comes in his glory, and that we may not be distracted by earthly glories that fade away or disillusioned by earthly disappointments, which will come to an end. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the Lord would give courage to all pastors as they preach and teach the word of the Lord. That all those who hear may believe, and that believing they may live in righteousness and godliness before the world, and be kept to the day when Christ returns as Lord and Judge of all. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the governments of the world and our leaders would act justly and with mercy. That we may be spared war and violence, that we may use wisely for the Lord's glory his gifts of liberty and the abundant blessings he has poured out on our land, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the Lord would give aid and comfort to the sick, the suffering, and those in their last days, that he may grant healing according to his will and strength to bear up under the weight of loneliness or affliction. We pray especially for all those who continue to suffer under this dreadful pandemic and those who are losing loved ones daily. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That we may not grieve as those who have no hope, that we may rejoice in the promise of the resurrection to life everlasting, and that we may encourage one another with these words. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That we may find a home within the house of the Lord here on earth. That we may rejoice in the Lord's word and sacraments by which we are brought to faith and nurtured in this faith. And that we may be sustained in the days of waiting, serving the Lord in anticipation of his return. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That we may be ready to receive the Lord when he comes again in glory. That the Lord may open the hearts of those who have wandered away from the faith and that the Lord may restore those caught up in error's maze. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the Lord may hear and answer the prayers of his people, and that we may be content with his answer, trusting in his, heaven, in his fatherly will and wisdom to grant us all that we need, and that all will profit our salvation. Let us pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen.